So I, uh, I don't know if I looked the part, but I know nothing about flowers, okay? Uh, I don't have a green thumb or any other color of thumb other than whatever color of thumb my thumb is. Tannish, white thumb. Uh, Caucasian, I have a Caucasian thumb. Hey, I'm like one one thousandth German, okay? Uh, and, um, <laughs> uh, and so I, I, I don't know very much about flowers, but I learned something a few summers ago about flowers. Uh, and I don't know if this applies to all flowers because I don't know very much about flowers, but it applies to at least the flowers at my house. So I was uh, out weed eating one day, cutting grass, and I accidentally smashed, obliterated uh, these flowers that bloom every like spring. So does anyone know anything about flowers? Are they like perennials or annuals or something? Anybody know anything about flowers? What is it? They're yellow. Yeah, whatever they are, those things. They, they're in your yard too. Whatever they are, they're everywhere apparently. Um, and so I'm, uh, you know, like they pop, they're like on the edge of our property. They're, they are on the edge of our property and they're also like up front in the front of our house. I mean, like they're like shin high. Okay, yes. And so... I was like weed eating. So this is like, so you know, they come up around springtime and are there around Easter. There's probably like an Easter name to them or something like an Easter lily, I don't know. And, uh, and so like eventually they turn into like green stalks. Like they're just like these tallish, about that tall green, like the flower is gone and it's just the green part. And so I'm like cutting grass and uh, I'm like not paying attention. I'm like listening to the Craig Show probably, Craig Show podcast. You're welcome, Craig, for dropping you. Um, just, anyway. Um, and so I'm like weed eating, you know, I'm like doing my thing, and I like obliterate these flowers, right? And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, sure, something like that. And, um, and so I, uh, I like destroy these flowers. And so I'm like, crap, like Alyssa's going to be mad at me, even though like she didn't plant them, so like, why would she care? I don't know. But uh, once you get married and dudes, you have a wife and you realize, like, oh, freak, you know. So anyway, uh, so anyway, uh, I realized the next year, the next year, the flowers came back. I didn't kill them. Uh, and so, you know, then I had the epiphany that it was like, okay, it's because it's like a root thing, right? It's like whenever, have you ever like tried to pull weeds and you just like keep pulling them, you know, week after week after week or year after year. Um, and it's like, okay, you have to pull the roots out, you know? Um, and then once you get the roots out, then you like have the whole thing, you know, then it'll die. They'll grow through the rocks, bro. I'm, I'm serious. They'll grow through the rocks. They find a way. And so anyways... It's like I discovered this, this principle and this good illustration that's like, okay, the roots are what's really important. Like you can chop down that flower as many times as you want, uh, but as long as the roots are intact, uh, that flower is just going to keep on coming back. It's like Hydra, right? Bite off one head, two shall grow in this place. Marvel fans? Any Marvel fans? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, but think about this. Think about this. 
it's, it's the root that matters. And I believe Satan knows this, in that he attacks the root of who we are. Because if he can attack the root of who we are, the very core of who we are, then everything else is going to die. Everything else is going to be affected. Right? Think of it like you can have hardship after hardship after hardship. Get cut down, cut down, cut down. But if, you, if you're strong in God and strong in who God has called you to be, you have a strong sense of identity, then you're just going to keep coming back. There's something special about identity. And so the root, the, the root of, of who we are is, is our identity. And when Satan, when, when Satan attacks that, as we're going to look at tonight, comes after that, he has the ability to affect our emotions, to, to affect how we think, to affect like what we live for, you know, like what, what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, like the, the, our desires, what we want to achieve in life. He, if, if he can control our identity, and really his plan isn't to just control it, it's like destroy it, um, then he, he can effectively destroy everything else, can control everything else, affect everything else about our life, and certainly our spiritual destination. That the, the root of who we are, our identity, is extremely important Important, and this is something that Satan attacks, that he comes after. It's a strategy of his. Look, look with me in Genesis chapter three. What we see here is in, in Genesis in these first few chapters is the creation account where God creates everything. The earth, stars, animals, plants, and than people. And as soon as like people are on the scene, you know, we're three chapters in into the story of humanity and Satan already appears on the scene. And so I'm going I'm to read it. It says in Genesis chapter three, now the serpent, we understand biblically that the snake or the serpent, which is being referred to in this passage, Later, we understand that this is actually talking about Satan. So it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not even touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? We'll stop there. So I find it so interesting that just within the first few chapters of humanity's existence, Satan is already on the scene coming after people. And he comes at them in really two big ways here. The first way 
is he, he tries to get them to doubt God or to think that God has evil motives. And we've, we've talked about, about this before in depth, um, and that's really another message, but I'll, I'll suffice it to say that, that Satan wants us to think that God is the bad guy. And that's what he was trying to do here, to, to make them think that God was trying to limit them, that God had this rule that you couldn't eat from stuff, and like, you shouldn't have rules, you should do whatever you want, you know, YOLO, and just, do people say that anymore? I don't really know. Um, and uh, that was like when I was like 16, uh, and so, you know, it's just, you get the point, though. It's just like people think that rules are a bad thing. Satan wants to make them think that God's commands in the Bible are somehow restricting them. But you'll find, and I'm not going to speak any more into this, but you'll find every command of God is attached with a blessing. And God was actually concerned with them living forever. They had an opportunity to live forever uh, and eat from the tree of life that was in the garden. Uh, and so Satan completely distracted them and threw them off with this second attack, which was an attack on their identity. Um, and so he said, he said, uh, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read the scripture again. So it says, you will not, verse four, you will not certainly die, the servant said to the woman. So that was a lie. They did die, right? For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. He, is that someone whistling or something? Burn? Yeah, it was weird. Anyway, uh, so, so he says you'll be like God. He was appealing to their sense of identity. He was appealing to, to who they would like to be to what they would like to do, right? That's, that, when we think of identity, that's what we think of. Like, who, who am I? What am I going to do with my life? What does my life mean and my purpose? That's what we think of when we think of identity. And he was appealing to this very thing and saying, you could be like this. You could be this type of a person. You could be this. He was appealing to their sense of identity, which was really a distraction from the identity that they had already received. Because he said, he said, you could be like God. You could be like God knowing good and evil. But for those of us familiar with this passage, who were they, who were they already made like? God, right? We can, we can go back and read in Genesis chapter one where it says God made man in whose image? God's image. He says in Genesis 1, 27, he says, Let us, I, uh, that, so God made man in his image. In his likeness, God made them. Male and female, he created them. That God made us in his image. He like inscribed himself in us. They already had an identity, but Satan made them think that they didn't have one and that they were going to have to go and chase one. That they were going to have to go and find one. And this, you'll find this, this principle in life, especially if you witness the things that people do in the life that people that like how people live, if you take time to be perceptive, you'll realize this, this principle, that, that you will become what you pursue. You will become what you pursue. Whatever you chase, whatever you're running after, that's what your life is going to resemble in the type of person that you're going to become. And so Satan had them running after something that was really just a phantom idea because they were, they were already made in God's image. But he had them thinking that they, ha they had to find an identity. They had, to, they had to find meaning. They had to find purpose because they didn't have it. When, as we know in reality, they, they did. 
to make them become pursuers of identity and everything else other than God's identity that was already grafted in them. And this is something that's very dangerous and should be a sign to us that's dangerous about the LGBT agenda. Really, we could say Satan's agenda with the LGBT culture because it is completely centered around identity, right? It, it, it's about everything in the LGBT arena is, it has become about how they identify. That's like their tagline. How do you identify? What are your pronouns? And they've made, especially the case, that there's just like sex. Sex has become people's identity. And the sexuality. They have, they're like celebrating things that should be honored. We talked about that a few weeks ago with, with transgenderism and the whole drag queen thing. It was like they're celebrating and celebrating this like sexual immorality when really sex is it's something as the Bible says should be held in high regard. This isn't something we just like flaunt around. Uh, you know, this is something that we hold in high regard. Um, and Satan has made made identity to them become everything about sex. It's like, you know, who I have sex with, that's most important. The gender that I am, that's what's most important. And, and, you know, they, they created a flag around this idea, a banner uh, around this idea that what, what's most important in life is sex and sexuality and gender and the whole lot. And ha has them chasing this, this idea that this is who they are, that this is their community. They even call, they even call it it's a community. We're the LGBT community. They're like creating this family sense and this identity sense. And this is dangerous, so dangerous, because how you identify is everything. What, what you pursue is going to be who, what you become, is going to be how you self-identify. And your identity is the core of who you are. It, it'll affect everything else, how you feel. Because these, these people, you, you can't, you, you can, and again, I'm trying to speak the truth in love, but you can, you can hardly talk to people like this. And we're gonna spend time, we're gonna spend time talking about how do you talk to the LGBT community because there's a way that you can win them over to the Lord. But to many, it's in, the, in the church, it's frustrating because it seems like you're talking to a brick wall and partially that, that's true, and I'm going to get into that later. I'm not being funny. I'm, I'm being dead serious. The Bible says they're blinded. But, but it's, it, it's like it's, everything is just, it's so much about their sexual identity that you can't even have a conversation with it. And they're trying to shut down public discourse about the idea and prevent, prevent conservative speakers. And I'm not talking politics politics at all, even though I'm not afraid to talk politics. I'll talk, talk it if I want to. Um, screw the government. I don't care what you tell me. Um, and I'm, thinking, I'm kidding. I'm being that serious. Um, and, uh, and so it's like they're trying to shut down even public discourse about it. Public discourse is everything. This is, we have to talk about this. This is our series, Let's Say Gay. If we don't talk about things, no one's ever going like, to come to any re reason or truth. It has, stuff has to be thought out and talked about. And it's, but it's, they're so sensitive. You know, it's, it's, it, this subject, their identity is so rooted in this, it's, it's completely overthrown their emotions, you know. Uh, and so, 
how we identify, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, it's everything. And, and this isn't just something that is like particular to like LGBT culture, but this is, this is your identity being like your guiding force in your life and what, what you pursue is going to be what you become is, is true for every other realm of life. You know, I said we're not picking on gay people. This, this is actually, it's, it should, the fact that LGBT stuff is so much into identity should just be a, a point that scares you. And it's just blatantly obvious. But then pe people fall into this trap in school just as, as students. What's most important is like my education. And it's like p parents and, 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 and teenagers will pursue education at the cost of everything. It's like what's most important is like me, me going to like Harvard. What's most important is me getting education and getting out of this scum hole, you know, and like and they'll sacrifice everything for that one thing or friends in popularity, sports. And that people will find their identity in this. And it's like everything becomes about them getting a scholarship to play football. Everything becomes about them being, being like uh, the, the, the cross star athlete. They're just good at all these things because that's like their reputation. That's what they want to uphold because in the core of their identity is they want to be someone who's success, successful and important and powerful. And, it's like, and that drives them and becomes everything that they live for. And a lot of that is subconscious. Um, but this isn't just an LGBT thing. This is, this is an everything thing. That what we're pursuing, it's going to end up becoming the identity that we take on. The identity that, that, we, that we adopt for ourselves. Who we become. What we pursue determines who we become. And so when it comes to identity, we say, okay, then who, who am I? What is my identity? And we've already mentioned briefly through the Adam and Eve scenario with sin in Genesis chapter 3 that their identity was really found in God. They were made in God's image. And so I'm going to speak a little bit more to that. But I want to make this statement first. And it's that when we think of identity, don't think of it in the sense that it's who am I. Think of it in the sense of whose am I. It's not who am I. It's whose am I. And so, as the spoiler alert has already given away, that's, that's, that's the Lord's. So look with me at Mark chapter 12. We'll start reading in verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a Daenerys, which is a coin, and let me look at it. And they brought the coin, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription, uh, whose, whose like, title is on this? Caesar's, 
they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And it says they were amazed at him. So Jesus talking about coins and paying taxes and makes this profound statement about identity. He says, you can identify something with how it's inscribed. You can identify something by the image that it bears. So he said, how, how do I know who's, who, what this coin is, whose coin this is? Well, okay, by the image, it's Caesar's. It's Caesar's coin. It has his image and his title on it, his inscription on it. But he isn't just talking about coins here, obviously. He's talking about people. He says, we're to give to God, we're to, we're to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. So the idea is, whose image is on you? Whose inscription do you bear? And the answer, as we've said it already tonight, is God's. Genesis chapter 1, as we said in verse 27, it says that we were created in God's image, His image imprinted on us. In His likeness, God created them. That, that we're created in God's image, which means then that we belong to God. Identity isn't a question of who you are. Identity is a question of whose you are. Identity is a question of who you belong to. And the Bible makes it so clear that you belong to God. You, be, you belong to Jesus. I want to shotgun just a few scriptures here. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Possession. You, you, you belong to God. You are his possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. That you belong to God. You belong to God. You're, you're his possession. That he owns you. You're his possession. He owns you by right of creation. You, you belong to live to him, to breathe for him, to be obsessed with him. That, that, that's that's your, like your rightful place, God's rightful place of ownership over your life, that you belong to God. Who are you? you you're made in God's image. You belong to God. And with this is beautiful because it attaches a, a purpose to it. It attaches meaning to it. And it says, it says, as a result, because you belong to God, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Because of this, you've got a purpose. Now you can show other people how good God is. Now you can show other people that God, that Jesus is on the inside of you. That, that, that there's life and meaning and love and peace and joy and supernatural power and blessing in God. Now you can show other people that there's goodness in God. He gives us a purpose, which is, okay, I, I'm an anointed holy priest. Right? Don't think Catholic priest. Think, think Bible priest, which was someone that would stand in the place over people to lead them to the Lord. That I'm a priest of my school. I'm a priest in, in, in my home, even though there's, you know, the, 
your, your parents are over you. But it's like I, I, I'm, I'm assigned priesthood wherever I go, that I'm a chosen, I'm a chosen people, that God loves me. I'm chosen. I'm, I'm picked out of a crowd, right? I don't know if you've ever played basketball or, or dodgeball before and got picked last in the feeling. God's like, you're, you're chosen. You're number one, right? When Jesus died on the cross, he died for you. You're chosen. You're picked out of a crowd. Then he says, he says, uh, you're, you're a royal priest, a holy nation, a holy nation. That this now is talking about our, our, our really our church family. That we belong to something that's special. We belong to a church body. Holy nation doesn't mean like a nation on earth. It means the church, Christ's body. That the, the we have we have brothers and sisters. We have a family in God. We have a family in Him. Look, look at me also at Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. This is a pretty popular scripture. I, I would like to, to bet that you've heard it. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You're God's masterpiece. What's a masterpiece? It's God's best creation. You're the best creation. It's his best work of art. It's his best, you're his best drawing. You're his best sculpting. You're his best molding. You are God's masterpiece. And then again, right with your identity and getting you to understand that you belong to God, that God shaped you, that he molded you, that he painted you, that, that he drew you, he sketched you, he formed you. You belong to him. He made you. Right again with that, we see a purpose is attached to it. And it says that we can, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has a purpose for your life. There's meaning in God for you. Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10, I'm God's masterpiece. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19 and 20. It says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, who lives in you and was given to you by God, you do not belong to yourself. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. What is that price? Jesus' blood. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. You know, that the Bible says that God loved the world. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He, he paid for us with his life, right? He paid for us. He loves us that much. And it says you must honor God with your body. Then look with me at, at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 20. It says, For I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with, with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that it will be like, like his glorious body. And talking about like how we'll be made new when, when we get to heaven. But it starts off talking about what people are living for. And it makes this crazy statement. And it says, people actually, many people are actually enemies of the cross. That's not talking about people that, aren't, that don't identify as Christians. That's talking about people that, that know God, 
that know about God. The Bible says that those people will have a form of godliness yet deny the power that makes them godly. It's like they're church people. They, they grew up in church and they're, they're Baptist or Methodist. Like, what, what, how do we identify? Uh, like, what's our denomination or whatever? Oh, yeah, we're Catholic. It's like people that just know stuff about God. But they're actually enemies of the cross. The actually, enemy is a strong word. He's saying like, they hate Jesus. An enemy of the cross, right? The cross is Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice for us. They hate his sacrifice. They hate what he did for us. Okay, well, well, how, wow, that's harsh. How are you saying these church people, these people that know things about God, how is it that they hate, they hate God? It says, their glory is in their shame. I'm sorry. Uh, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. I believe that, that part is key. Their God is their stomach. What that means is, is they're, they're living for their God. What they're pursuing in their life is, I don't think it means their literal stomach, though you could talk about you know, food and, and talk a lot about how food has a lot of control in people. But it's talking about, I think, people's innate desires. Their God is themselves. Their God is what they want out of life. Their God is their desires, the things that they want, who they want to be. He says, because of that, now they're living in direct opposition to the cross, living in direct opposition to the cross. But then he says, but we're not like that. We're not like that. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's a message for us. We're not like this. We're, we're obsessed with Jesus. We're not like everybody else. We're not going to live like everybody else. You know, people my age, you know, they, they, like, they just want to have fun and hang out with their friends. Not me. I, I, I'm obsessed with prayer. I, I can't, I can't, I can't like not keep waking up at night and, and, and praying and just opening God's word and, and just, I'm like, I'm hungry for God's word. I can't, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I can't stop wanting to know more about God's word. Or, you know, people my age, they just, they're obsessed with sports and school and just all these things that are great and perfectly fine and not sinful. But it's like, man, I just, I just love the church. I just love to be, be in God's house, be with God's people in an obsession with the things of God. You know, we're, we're not like everybody else. The Bible says we're, we're like, we don't belong in this earth. It says we're citizens of heaven. It says we're foreigners. Once your translation says, says sojourners, just like these people passing through a land, nomads, we're just passing through. We don't, we belong in heaven. Heaven is our home, not here. And if I belong to heaven, I'm living for heaven. I'm not gonna live like everybody else. I'm gonna live pursuing Jesus more than everything else. What, what we pursue controls what we become. What we pursue determines what we become. And when we become people that pursue God, that pursue Jesus in knowing Him, you can say it like this, to know Jesus and make him known. And when that becomes everything, 
to, to know Jesus and to make him known, to know Jesus and to make him known. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom, God's kingdom and my righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. When you like make, make it your life to know Jesus and make him known, you step into a realm of sonship that you actually would dream of. A closeness with God, a peace with God, a power in God that really everyone wants. They don't know what they, they don't know what they want it. But you step into a realm of living, a realm of closeness with God. where your purpose explodes. And I see that on, on many of you tonight. I, whenever we got up here after worship, you know, I was speaking about, about unity and, and hunger in, in, in this group of students. I think it's true. I think you love Jesus a lot. But you know, there's a deeper place. There's a further place. There's a greater place. And when Jesus becomes our everything, it, you know, like having fun in life and just, you know, what we want to do and just, it's like all those things are just, they're distractions. There's something special when Jesus becomes your number one, your priority. When you live and breathe Jesus, something special happens in your life. Something really special happens in your life. And God will use you in amazing ways. And I think revival in this area is gonna happen with you guys. God is calling you to a deeper place in Him because He wants to use you at a greater level. There's something special that God wants to do in you, Ben, Olivia, Lyric, Harmony. There's something special God wants to do in you. We're not like everybody else. We don't live like everybody else. We're gonna pursue God like nobody else has ever pursued God before. And because of that, we're gonna do the good things, Ephesians 2.10, the good things he planned for us long ago. Tonight's a night where anything that has taken priority over God, over his word, over prayer, tonight's the night we surrender to him. Say, Jesus, those things are fine. It's not bad to have fun, play sports, hang out with friends. I might do it from time to time. Like, I'm getting obsessed with you. Take your prayer life to a level that sounds stupid. Take, take the time in, in the Word. Make it, spend so much time in the Word that your parents think you're nuts. that's when you'll see 
next level things happen. And I'm t- it's on you. It's on you already. God's doing it. I feel he's doing it. It's in you. 